this morning, I would tell you to turn uh, to a place in Scripture, but what I've done is I've compiled three of the gospel accounts into kind of a chronology uh, around Palm Sunday. So if you want to know where those places are, I can tell you afterwards, but there's going to be turning uh, back and forth. So I'm just going to read it, and uh, you'll see the picture, the scriptural picture here. So it starts in Luke chapter 19 in the uh, Psalm, or excuse me, the Palm Sunday account. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage in Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go ye into the village over against you in the which you're entering, ye shall find a colt tied whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you lose him? Loose him. Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world's gone after him. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would cry out immediately. And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they're hid from thine eyes, for the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation." And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them, and went out of the city, into Bethany, and he lodged there. Father, we thank you that throughout these gospel accounts, we can have such a clear picture of what things looked like 
as Jesus was there. And as he was descending that Mount of Olives, Lord, the things that were going on in your heart and then the things that were going on inside the people's hearts, Lord, we just pray that right now this morning you would help us to look in here, to gain help as we see the heart of Jesus Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You and I in these present days have probably seen something like this. I remember when I was younger, I uh, had watched a Disney film, Aladdin. And they have this big display of the kingly procession after this poor little wretch of a man rubs the genie's lamp and then poof, he's made a king and he's got everything. I could, 10,000 camels, there was a whole song that went to this. There was people holding bells walking by. There was fruit and baskets coming by. There was jugglers, flame jugglers. There was, and then there was, I think he was on an elephant and there was the canopy on the top of the elephant and there he was, the strapping young king. And this big display coming up to the princess as a suitor. We would expect something like that of a king. You see the presidential processions. You see the host of cars that come by and flags that are waving on those cars. You can think about it over there in England, even with the royal family. Same kind of thing, processions of cars, right? They've got, when the, when the cars stop, people get out and make lines on both sides like a wall of people so that the queen or so that the president can get from one place to another. And it's a big deal. <clears throat> I remember when I lived in New York City, I worked at this place called Spotlight Live in Manhattan. It was in Times Square, I think 48th Street. And inside of this place, I didn't even want to be there, by the way, but it was a way to get uh, internship. It was an internship, and it was a way to get out of there somewhere else. But they had movie premieres that were in there. They had Whoopi Goldberg radio show, uh, executives from television places and whatnot, and recording artists, they'd come in. So I'm thinking, hey, if I can just stick this out a little while and get my card out, that'd be great. They had one uh, movie premiere, which was Bruce Willis, and I'd probably die hard 47. <laughs> die hard with a vengeance 47. <laughs> It's probably that film, but there he was. And there was people all over the place. There were people that I had seen in movies standing right in front of me. The rap artist uh, Ice-T, which I never listened to, he stood and visited with us as we were in the sound booth. He said, you're the forgotten guys and all this. But they made this big to-do. So Bruce, all the other people, which were movie stars, are down in this pit area. And then you walk the spiral staircase up to the penthouse. You shouldn't be able to go up there because that's where Bruce Willis was. That's where his family was. That's where Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore were. We're up in the upstairs. And I had to go get something, and I can't remember even what it was, but I ran up into this penthouse area to get certain things that were behind a, it was a countertop, and we had wires and all sorts of stuff in there. I needed to get that. So I'm running up there and get it, and this guy comes by in a suit, and he says, how'd you get up here? And I realized he was a bodyguard. And I said, I came up through the staircase over here. He said, what staircase? I thought, oh, buddy, you're going to lose your job uh, because you just let this guy, me, get up here, and you didn't know there was a staircase. But what I'm trying to get at was, in all that, there was such big deal about this. I mean, there were all sorts of movie stars and song artists and everything. They were in the downstairs, but it was a big deal up here. So Bruce Willis is here. I didn't go out and see if they rolled the red carpet. I, had, I wasn't outside. I was inside. But they made big deal of this thing all the time. And you see that. You can look on magazines and pictures and things that you would find when you go throughout the checkout line. There, you know, there's the red carpet rolled out. These people are a big deal, right? Now we're thinking about Jesus. They had a prophecy that there was going to be this king. 
who's coming in that they've been told from thousands of years and some of these people there in that gener generation they've been told since they were young now here they come up to this point here comes this king now they had the idea that he was going to be this political king that came in wiped out the roman army and set up his throne in jerusalem and jerusalem would rule the whole earth now that is somewhat true because we find that in the end that is going to happen there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and the new Jerusalem down on the earth. And that will be like the Zion, the city of God, up on the hill throughout the whole earth when everything's made new again. So they had that confused about what it's going to be like in the very end and the first coming of this Messiah. They mixed the two of these things together. So naturally, because they're under the bondage of Roman rule, they are thinking, here he is, he's going to take care of it. But you've got to remember, Jesus was not a very handsome man. No form or comeliness that we should desire him. He's a carpenter. You got to be kidding me. Now he's riding in on a donkey. If he's a king, shouldn't he be riding in on a white horse? Shouldn't he have some kind of procession? He's got all these poor people behind. And they're shouting and making fools of themselves back here. You understand now what the Pharisees are looking at. All these other people are wrapped up in the excitement of what's going on. And you can imagine if you were there, you'd like to think that you, weren't, you, you wouldn't be like these people. But I would have to think that because of gross ignorance, you and I would probably be either in two camps. We'd be barking at him and saying this is a bunch of foolishness, or we'd be there hopping around, hooting and hollering, and still not have any idea what we're doing, even though it was exciting. So here he comes riding on a donkey, which is a symbol of peace. He's not coming in to conquer like if he was on a white horse. That means business. But coming in on a donkey, meekness. And it says that he came in like that because there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that was fulfilled as he rode in on this donkey. So here comes Christ. He was literally coming. He was literally there. The revelation that he would like to give to people and there he is. And yet, how much confusion wrapped around this whole thing. So I want to look at this whole account and there's a few things that we need to look at. Christ or craving? Christ or the culture? Christ or cash? Christ or clout? When we start here looking about Christ and Christ versus craving, what do I mean by that? Well, when we look in this account, we see that could you put yourself in the place of those disciples when he said, I need you to go get this colt. It's going to be tied up. You just go down the way there. When you see it tied up, I want you to loosen it. If the guy comes out and asks you what you're doing, you just say that the Son of Man needs it and he'll let you have the donkey. Now, if you were in your morning prayer time and you're praying and God told you something like that and it happened, what would you be doing? I'd probably be calling up Brother Matt and be like, Brother Matt, you have no idea what just happened. I was praying this morning and then I feel like the Lord told me this and then it happened. That's exciting, right? We like to know we're in partnership with God. Now, can you imagine being these disciples? It seems pretty arbitrary, right? There's going to be a donkey down there tied up, and, and when you unloose him, a guy's probably going to come out and ask you, and then you just tell him I need it, and he'll let it go. So they walk down there, and they do it. I'm sure that they couldn't keep their mouths closed. <laughs> I'm sure they were excited. So they come back. It happened. He gave us the donkey. Here's the donkey, master. And they're thinking, woo, that's great. Probably normal, but they had this thrill for this kind of supernatural craving. And there's some bit of that that's healthy because if there's no supernatural involvement in the Christian life at all, it's just 
it's just machinery. It's a structure. There's no reality. There's no life. So I'm not wholly discounting it, but what I'm saying is, do these people in that time, did they want Jesus, the real Jesus, as revealed by God the Father, coming down in human flesh, setting before their eyes, even though it was against everything that they thought he was supposed to be, did they want Jesus, or were they more concerned about this craving for this supernatural display? Were they more concer or concerned about thrills, this craving for thrills. So maybe they were thrilled that they had authority. He said, tell him I need the donkey and he'll give it to you. So you can imagine if you're that Christian person that gets the command of God, that God says, go and do this and I'll do it for you. When you speak those words and that person lets the donkey go, that's thrilling. Wow, that doesn't happen normally, but it did now. You're thrilled at the authority you even have as a Christian to be able to speak at times and things happen because you've got the Christ living inside of your breast. Maybe the thrills of uh, that, the people's testimony that were round about. Remember, it said there was a group of people also that came before he started descending the Mount of Olives that were there when Lazarus rose from the dead and they saw it. They were there and they're saying, this is the guy. He's the one that rose Lazarus from the dead. Then a whole throng of other people start grouping around them. And they're thrilled. This is the one that's doing the miracles all over the place. And now he's here. Now we can go behind him in this kingly procession. So they're getting thrilled at what they're seeing. The testimony of others has thrilled them. The thrill of now being a part of this man, linking themselves up to this man. What a thrill. They have this emotional high, shouting loud and praising God. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But these, this shouting, this praising of God, it's gotta come from reality. I think it was Oswald Chambers, he said something. Uh, Oswald Chambers, he wrote, a, for those of you that may not know, he wrote a devotional, uh, well actually his wife compiled it after his death of his writings called My Utmost for His Highest. Extremely popular devotion, very incisive and good, I, that's my opinion. Uh, but this man was, he lived in England, Scotland, uh, he lived in Scotland, and he came overseas, and he ended up teaching at God's Bible School for a short stint. He had not, I guess, experienced things in a holiness church quite like it was back over in uh, Scotland and in, some, in England. It was different when he got to GBS. When he got to GBS, he said, these people were shouting the praises of God. There was such hilarity, and I don't mean like funny, I just mean it was high emotions going on, the shouting and praising of God that was in this place. And he said, I joined right in with him. He said, but I didn't put my stock in there because he said a lot of people can do that and not have reality. But if there's reality in it, I love that, right? So these people are shouting and praising God and loud hosannas. They're probably dancing around, twirling back behind, lifting their arms up, shouting, jumping and leaping. You bet it was quite a sight. It looked, it looked like something's going on over here. And they got caught up in it. And Jesus acknowledged, though, that that was okay. It was an emotional expression. Remember, he said, if these people stop, the stones are going to start doing it. So Jesus does want to hear our praise, but I'm trying to get into the heart of these people. What's going on there? Did they really even know what they were doing when they were praising? Did they know? I don't know. Maybe some of them did. It seems to be from the scripture account that a lot of them had no idea what they were doing because they had a false concept of who this Messiah or Christ was. was or what he was going to do. So they're shouting and praising God because of what they think is gonna happen. But I don't think they were shouting and praising God because of who he really was. Nevertheless, the Lord did commend them. But 
Did they want Christ or did they just have that craving for that emotional high? Did they want the real Christ or did they just want to feel good? I think it was Alistair Begg. He's on the radio. You may have heard him. He's, he's got an awesome accent. I could listen to that guy over and over again just because I like his accent. But he also has a lot of good to say. He's a very good expositor of the scriptures. He said he went to a church and he was sitting down in the audience and the guy who comes, or the congregation, the guy who comes, it was probably more like an audience where he was going. The, the pastor comes up to the pulpit and he says, how do you feel? That's what he says to the congregation. He said, I didn't say anything, but he said, I thought to myself, how do I feel? He said, this morning I stubbed my toe because the dog came in front of me. Then I got my knees on the ground. Then I got so mad I kicked the dog. Then my wife came in. She said something. I was irritated with her. So I feel terrible. Now, I'm not saying that that's in any way what Christian character should be like, but he was just illustrating a point. How do I feel? My morning's been a mess. I don't feel like anything. And oftentimes that's why people come to church. How do I feel? How does it make me feel? Thank God when he does something for us and we feel the blessing of God, but that's not the whole point. We want reality first. If we've got reality, there'll be plenty of feeling that stems out of that. But if we have feeling without reality, we're, just, we're, we're no different than being at a baseball game, being at a football game. We're no different at being at a parade and making all this loud noises at a New Year's Eve celebration. It's about just the same. People get just as emotional about those things, but it doesn't last. So did they, have a, did they want Christ, or did they have a craving for this? In other places, we find in the Scripture that demons, it said, were subject to these apostles. They said, they came back after Christ sent them out, and they said, demons are even subject to us. What did Jesus say? Don't be all excited about that. But you should be far more excited that your names are written in the book of life. And they thought, hmm. I wonder if they stepped back for a minute and thought, why does he do that to us every time? Why is it every time we get excited, he says something that just kind of punches me right in the heart? Why does he do that? And they probably didn't even fully understand what he was talking about. But nevertheless, we find that they had that excitement. We find even the man's, I think in, in church history, it doesn't necessarily say his last name in the scripture, but known as Simon Magus. He was the sorcerer that followed around the apostles. And he saw that when the apostles laid their hands on others, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. So he had seen enough of that. And he said, man, that's awesome. And he pulls his wallet out and he says, Peter, how much does this cost? I'll give you whatever you want if you can just give me that power that you have. And then Peter rebuked the man and said, your heart's not right. I perceive thou art in the gall of bitterness. And if you don't repent, you're in big trouble. You're on your way to hellfire. He said, whoa, pray that none of what you just said happened. <laughs> I don't know if there was repentance there or not. I have no idea. But we find people get caught up in the thrills. So do you want Christ or craving? When we come here to church, do you come here just to feel better or do you come here to, to, to gain from him, feeling or no feeling? And I have to say, sometimes it seems so terribly hard to separate that because when you know reality, you can't help but feel it. It happens. Some days maybe more than others, but I'm just asking you about the motive of your heart. Do you come here just to feel a certain way? Or do you come here because you love Jesus? If, P, if I only married my wife because I wanted to feel a certain way, what happens when we have some tough times? Well, this feels terrible. I'll tell you what happens. It goes on throughout all of our nation. Well, it doesn't feel like the glow is the same as it was when we had our honeymoon. So you know what? I'm going to go find something, someone else exciting. I'm not interested in that. I love her through thick and thin. 
I love her for who she is. I want to be with her. Even if there's disagreements and things are tough, right? It shouldn't really be any different when we think about him. Really, that picture is made, that analogy is made in the scripture that our relationship with God is much like a marriage. And when we covenant with God, it's very much the same as your covenant as a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband. For richer, for poorer, for sickness and health until death do us part. And at that point, it's different. Because when death happens, I'm going to part from this world, but I'm going to be with him forever. <laughs> so thank God for that. But we find there's that similarity. So do you want Christ or do you have a craving for these thrills, for the supernatural experience, for the emotional highs? Why? I think these people had that, that they had to deal with and sort out. <clears throat> and they were disillusioned when Christ rose from the dead. And then they started to think everything we thought suddenly overturned. So Christ fulfilled this prophecy coming down in there on a donkey. I wonder if they first thought, this is kind of weird, but, you know, it's still kind of exciting. So let's just, let's just run with it. Let's go with it. The next thought is Christ <coughs> or the culture. So in culture and their culture, they had this thought of the material kingdom, the political zeal that was behind what was going on as he was descending the Mount of Olives. And that had been building for a while because they were under that tyrannical rule of Rome. And so here they find their Messiah and their king. They have this cultural zeal. They had this instilled in them. This is what it's going to be like. And here comes the king. He's going to lay out these Romans, and we're going to reign with him. That's what they were feeling like. So they're welcoming the material king. They're laying the palm branches out. Here's the king, and I'm a Jew. This is working out pretty good right now. I'm glad I'm alive right now. I'm glad that he's coming down. He's going to take care of everything. Think about it, though, in our particular day. Think about what the Bible speaks about, and then think about our presidential election. I'm grateful that President Trump was elected over Hillary Clinton because that man holds up more of Christian values than that lady does. <coughs> but I by no means would call President Trump a Christian. That man is a sinful man, and he needs to be saved just as any other sinner needs to be saved. But look at the hype that comes behind this man, President Trump. People are, are all behind with political zeal and with political fervor. Had I come out and spoken on some issue of righteousness that the scripture bore out, and it just spoke like that, in the name of God we need to do this, I don't believe we would have half as much excitement as we do about this with our presidential election. Now, I'm glad that we have the presidential elections, and you and I as Christians have a responsibility to, be, to elect those that are going to most represent God's truth and that are going to most upheld it, uphold it. That's the institution of God's government. He made it so, so that anarchy is not all over the place, and that rule can go, and that those that are bad will be punished, and those that are good will be rewarded. That's what the scripture says. But when we just have, when we choose culture over Christ, we've got ourselves in a problem all over again. What happens if we're carried away in zeal for President Trump becoming this way, and we just kind of overlook things that are wrong? We just kind of brush it off to the side. And we just think, well, whatever, but we're going forward. Our economy's boosting and all. Well, Rome, they went far up before they shot down. Right? We find that in civilizations behind us. The Egyptian civilization, they were a mighty civilization. Boom. Why? The judgments of God on them. So we have to ask ourselves the question, do we want Christ 
or culture. And there's nothing wrong with culture because the leaven of the gospel is going to spread throughout all the individual cultures of the world. Culture is good when it has its right place. But here we find that they were taking this material thought, this messianic kingdom on earth, this political Christ who's going to come down in there and smash their enemies. That was what their focus was on. And so they were choosing that kind of a cultural idea, what they had been bred in instead of Jesus. But Jesus said something different. In Luke 19, 42, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. And then in the 44th verse, he says, Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. They were expecting one kind of king, and he said, The king is here. This is what God was after all along, and you're missing it. You've missed it. How easy it can be to miss Jesus. Even in the things that seem wonderful and good, if we miss him, all this other is going to fade out of the way. Jesus could step into yours and my life in a certain manner that if we're not careful, it's like he came in, he sat with us, tried to talk with us a little while, and then he went on his way. Because we had a, a preconception of how things should be, we missed him. A preconception of what he was going to do, we missed him. Or a preconception of what we think he has done, and we miss him. That's what happened with these. Here, he would have loved to say, here's the messianic kingdom, as God's revealed it, and now here's the real blessing to your soul, but they didn't catch that. They missed the whole of it. And he speaks about, instead, when they're all hyped up about this political victory, he speaks about their political downfall, their national downfall, that there was going to be wrecked prosperity. He said, it's all going to be laid like rubble to the ground. And he's weeping as he's coming down the Mount of Olives, saying this, oh, if only you understood what's really going on. And then he said, also, there was going to be a wrecked posterity. What's going to happen to my children and my children's children? Jerusalem's going to be destroyed and wrecked and ruined, and my children will be effective and we are affected. And we know in AD 70 that when the temple of Jerusalem was leveled to the ground and the Romans came in, it was the most brutal manslaughter that the Jews had ever seen. And Jesus knows that. And he's saying, oh, you get such a wrong concept of what's going on right now. If only you knew the time of your visitation. So Christ or culture, they were more steeped in their culture. Christ or cash. After Christ gets down the Mount of Olives, he goes right into the temple. And now all these people are saying, who is this? Well, it's that prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And you can imagine there was such excitement going on in there. What would you do if you were serving God and there was such praise and excitement that was around you when you were speaking? What would you do? I mean, you couldn't help but feel like, this is wonderful. Not because it's like, oh, look at me, but you know what I mean? You're in the middle of it. It's awesome. But think about this. Christ was in the middle of that, and then he saw them with the money changers' tables. In the midst of all this hilarity of people praising God and all the excitement, he runs right over to the table. He flips the thing upside down, flips the seat over, and then he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. This is my father's house, and you made it a den of thieves. You're making this place for your own gain and benefit. You're taking advantage of these poor people so you can put money in your pocket. You can imagine he was quite angry. 
And he was visibly angry because the account says he looked round about them with anger, so they must have seen it. Here he comes, their, their false conceptions. Is it Christ or cash? These Pharisees and religious leaders, they didn't want Jesus Christ. They wanted position, power, and money. And they proved it. And you know why it's so big of a deal? Because as they were coming, people coming from afar to the temple, it would be hard for them to take along, you know, bullocks and lambs through miles and miles through the desert trying to get to Jerusalem to sacrifice for their family. So what they did was they would sell maybe an oxen off at home. They would have money with them so that when they got to Jerusalem, they could then buy the sacrifice. And when they bought it, then the priests would inspect it, you know, to see if it met the Levitical standard. And then they would slay the beast or whatever offering they may have offered depending on their income scale and then they would, they would have atonement. Now, the point in God's sight was the clean atonement. But what they were doing was they would, sometimes even they may, maybe they were, say, 15, 20 miles away. They bring in, they said, you know, we can bring one of our oxen. I don't think anybody wants to buy it, but we can bring it. They bring it there to the priest, and the priest would put on, you ever seen those jeweler things that hook on their glasses that, you know, they, or a dentist does it too. So they can, yeah, the, what did you call it? A jeweler's hoop. Is that what you said? Loop. All right. So he had jeweler's loop. Think about it like this. The priests are looking over the sacrifice and saying, oh, this isn't good enough. There's, you see that? It's a little blemish right here. They were, they were being so nitpicky above and beyond the law that then they said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to sell this and then you're going to have to buy this and inflated price. This is cream of the crop over here. That's what they were doing down there. That's why Jesus was mad. They were taking advantage of poor people because they wanted to go and have the offering of atonement for their own sins, and they couldn't do it because it cost so much. So they'd probably mortgage things off and sell a bunch of other things that they had no real reason that they should have had to in God's sight, and these people were taking advantage of it. So do you want Christ or cash? These men wanted cash. They didn't want Jesus. If they wanted Jesus, they would have listened to him when he taught. They would have received what he was giving. Instead, they were thieves and extortioners. I say, if we're not following Jesus the way we should be, Lord, overturn our doings if you're not central, like he did those tables. If, we, if we've got it all wrong, just flip the whole thing upside down and show us the way we're supposed to go, because this has such eternal significance, I don't want to miss it and deceive myself. That doesn't mean we have to go looking for things that aren't there, but it's just like, Lord, I want you. If it's Christ or cash, I want Christ. I'd rather live in the gutter than to turn my back on you. And I'm not saying living in a gutter would be easy. It's natural that you're thinking you're going to want to be able to have these finances and whatever, prepare or uh, provide for yourself and for your family. But if it's a contest, Christ or cash, what are you going to choose? Then we look here and we see Christ or clout. Now, clout is like, you know, you're the important guy. You've got the power. And people around recognize you as having that power. So it's Christ or clout. Here we find that these Pharisees and these Sadducees, these religious leaders, they were upset because they saw their influence leaking out to this ugly carpenter. They're upset. There he is. Everybody's going after him. Remember I read about that in John 12, 19. <clears throat> The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world's gone after him. The world's all gone after him. They're thinking, if they were only just learned people, they wouldn't be so ignorant and follow this guy. But the world's gone after him. It's no use. Just leave him alone. 
They didn't think too highly of those people that were shouting hosannas behind Jesus. They wanted the position. They wanted the power. So here they wanted that, and they saw it leaking out, and they're getting upset. They see these people making fools of themselves, praising God, and said, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Can't you see this? This is so crazy. This is in such excess. Get, get these people to be quiet. This isn't dignified. This isn't temple worship style. Oh, that's the kind of attitude they had. They were losing their power. They were losing their influence over these people because never a man spake like that man. When that man speaks, it comes with authority. Unlike these scribes over here, we hear statements like this peppered throughout the Gospels as well. These people were mad. No more influence. We're losing it to this guy. And they had bitter, carnal jealousy and anger inside their hearts towards Christ. Enough so that you and I realize they put him on the cross. If it was Christ or clout, they chose, get rid of Christ, give me the power. Give me the influence. And that's what they did. They were sore displeased at this. They wanted to be recognized as power. And yet all these simple people are recognizing there's something in this Christ. What an awful thing. And Jesus is in the middle of it. Can you see the picture of what he's bearing as he's coming down the Mount of Olives? And it's not just this isolated case. This has been going on for years. But this day, it's like all of it's just right there. And he's putting the squeeze. And he sees how everything's such a mess. A mess in the ones that he was hoping would follow them and get it. A mess in the ones that should have known better because of their study of the scriptures and the religious leaders. It was a grief to his heart to see that. But then we find, if there's the difference between Christ or clout, look at the ones that I, I know I had mentioned before that maybe they were caught up in emotions and didn't have reality. But let's say they did have reality because of Jesus' commendation of them. We look there and we find that there was simple praise taking place place when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying hosanna to the son of david they were sore displeased and said unto him hearest thou what these say and jesus said to them yea have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise what does that mean babes and sucklings i would say with children they don't get tangled up in all this analytical mess that you and i as adults do they simply just see it as it is and they take it as it is. There it is. So they were, Jesus said, can't you see these little kids know how to do a better job? They're praising in reality. You don't get it. That's essentially what Jesus was saying to the religious leaders. They get it, but you don't. You've missed it. So we find if it's between Christ or influence, these kids are thinking, this is wonderful. This is, this is the Messiah. And they're, they're crying and they're saying, praise God, Hosanna to the son of David, he's here. Mom, he's here. Dad, he's here. Remember you showed us in our family devotions and you were talking about this? He's here right now. Oh, it's so wonderful. Out of all the generations that he could have came, he's here. The excitement these kids had. What would you be like, Samuel, if Jesus came walking by in front of you and you got to see him be crowned king? Wouldn't you be excited? That'd be awesome. I'd like to see that. We're going to see it. It's going to be different, but we're going to see it. So here are these babes and sucklings versus the pious theologians. Well, you see, in the Psalms, it says such and such, and these kids are like, praise God, here he is. Thank God, it's the Hosanna, the son of David. And Jesus said, there it is. There's the perfected praise, guys. And, oh, it just made them all the more bitter. There's their influence dropping out. 
but we find those that really did have a push towards Christ. They had that exuberant, unashamed praise. They weren't thinking about, well, I wonder what he's going to think about me if I just praise like I feel like I want to. And they didn't care at all. Thank God they didn't. <laughs> and they had that simple praise. They're laying the palms down before him. Here's the king. We're going to lay out their red carpet. We're going to lay it out, put our clothing in front of them. This is the king. This is the Messiah. He's walking down Jerusalem. Oh, here we go. And they lay it all out. Christ or clout. We find these people were like, Christ, I'm going to take my clothes off and get them trampled under a donkey. Wonderful. I'm going to go through all the troubles of hacking palms down enough so that we can lay them out the whole way down. They weren't choosing the influence and the power. They were saying, there's the power. There's the influence. It's the king. And they wanted him. In so much also that we find that dichotomy, that means these two opposing things there, inside, down in the temple, we find that here's these people that are all sore and upset, and Jesus left those cranks alone, and he went and healed the lepers, and he spoke with the lame. <laughs> you want to be cranky, go be cranky over there. You aren't going to get any blessing, but these people, they're hungry, and they want God. Thank the Lord. Isn't that wonderful how the Lord does things? So here we find that Christ or clout. If it's going to be power, influence, clout, or Christ, what are you going to choose? Christ or craving, Christ or culture, Christ or cash, Christ or clout. So Jesus made that statement, if only you knew the time of your visitation. So I would ask you the question, why has Jesus spoken to you? Why has he ever spoken to you? Or recently, why did he just speak to you? Or maybe this morning, why is he talking to you? Why? Why has Jesus blessed you? Why has he blessed you in the past? Maybe he's blessed you this morning. Why did he bless you this morning? For what purpose? What's this all about? Why has he visited you when you, he came unsolicited? You weren't seeking him and he came for a visit. Why? What was going on? What did he want? What was he after? Why does Jesus lead you and I? Why does he come out in front and say, no, 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 come on over here. Here's where I want you to go. Why does he do that? These are questions that you and I have to realize. We have to know the answer to. Why does he hold us up when we feel like we've got nothing left? Why? Jesus said to them, if only you knew the time of your visitation, if only you knew that I'm here right now for this particular purpose, you would have gained the blessing and the help that I was so longing to give you. So that's why we say, why did he speak to you? Why does he bless you? Why has he visited you? Why does he lead you? Why does he uphold you? What reason? Let's not miss him when he comes. Let's not miss him when he speaks. Let's say, Lord, you're speaking. Why? Lord, your blessings dumped out on my soul. Why? Lord, you come and visited me and I wasn't seeking after you. Why? That's what we want to know. We don't want to miss him. What is he after in your life? Is he after the shallow and the surface things, or is he trying to get in deeper? Is there something he's talking to us down into the core of our beings about? He wants to be king over you in his perfect understanding. It's one thing for us to say, I surrender all. And then Jesus shows us what that surrender looks like, personally. We can sing the song and have the emotional attachment to it, but then when he says, okay, if you surrender all, this is what I'm asking. Personally, practically, here's what I'm after. And it may not be the same for each and every person, but God knows, 
He knows where there's danger in our heart. He knows where there's a problem. And he said, that is going to be a problem. You need to surrender this. And it may be a good thing. There may be nothing necessarily wrong with it except that it's going to be in the way. And so we have to say, Lord, why are you talking to me? He doesn't want the shallow thing. He wants to be king over us in perfect understanding, in his perfect understanding. He's like, you don't have knowledge enough to understand that, and I understand, but I want to help you to know what I'm after in your life. I want to help you to know what I'm after in this circumstance and situation. I want you to know what I'm after in this community here in Rome or in this city in Rome. What is he doing? Why is he showing up? There's a reason. There's a purpose. Let's not miss it when the visitation comes and then we just kind of go off like these others. So the kingdom of God, Jesus said, cometh not with observation. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That seems to be like he's narrowed it right down. That's why he's coming. He's trying to establish his kingdom in every single one of our hearts. And if it's established there, you're going to find that the external kingdom is all round about you. You're going to find people entering that kingdom. But if you haven't entered that kingdom and that kingdom isn't in you, there's real difficulty trying to get anybody else in there. There's a real difficulty when we've got a foggy idea of certain things of trying to help others. So that's why we're not looking around like, is God here? Is he doing this and this? It's wonderful when those things happen and the display and manifestation of his spirit takes place. But we want to know, what is he doing here? What is he talking to us about? What is he trying to get after? He's coming to visit us. He's got a reason. He's got a purpose. He had a reason there in the Mount of Olives. It was the coronation of his Messiah, messianic kingship. It was the coronation of his spiritual kingship until the last day when it'll be his kingship known with very sight. But first... It was the inner kingdom that he was after. First, it was that. That's why he came down the hill on the donkey. I'm that Messiah. Here's that prophecy fulfilled. The kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. The kingdom of God comes within, and I'm your king if you'll let me. Make the palms laid out before all the way to the door of your heart. Lay out your coats and your garments so that the king of kings, the king of glory can come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. The Lord strong and mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, for the King of glory shall come in. That's what he's trying to do is march kingly into the heart of every single one of us and reign there without a rival. So don't miss the purpose of his personal and his collective visitations. When it happens, let's ask the question, why? So that we don't spoil the blessing, but that blessing is used for the way that he intended May the Lord help each and every single one of us.